My name is Justin McClure, and I'm here today with Will Sloan. And you're listening to the Important Cinema Club. Shocktober. Oh! That's the most illegal move in wrestling. Oh, that's right. We're talking about El Santo, the Mexican wrestler who starred in over 50 films in the Lucha Libre genre. El Santo? Don't you mean Samson? That's right. That is what he is also known as. That's true. Yeah, because K. Gordon Murray... Uh, imported four of the uh, Santo movies and for some reason j- renamed him as Samson. I guess K. Gordon Murray, who, by the way, was an American meat merchant, basically. Mm. Uh, he, uh, don't you mean an American cinema legend? That, well, that's right. He, his K. Gordon Murray's most famous movie was Maybe you've seen it, an MST3K classic, Santa Claus, the one where he fights the devil. Mm -hmm. Uh, A Mexican film. That's right. So he imported a lot of uh, Mexican stuff and uh, showed it to, you know, slapped it out there for matinee audiences. But El Santo was in over 50 Mexican wrestling movies, only four of which I think were actually imported. That's it. Only four. Yeah. Yeah. Which is very surprising when you watch these movies and you go, how did no distributor go? Well, we could package this as like TV fair, like cut it up, put it up for kids sell it as kind of like a Batman thing or, oh God, as they've been doing recently, redubbing them so they're more comedic. Oh man, okay, more on that later. Yeah. Uh, so El Santo, who was he? And why are we talking about him in Shocktober? Well, he was a real-life wrestler. In the movies, he played his wrestling persona and it seems that his wrestling persona basically became his offstage persona too. Mm -hmm. Like he wore a mask. A silver mask. A silver mask uh, in all the movies. You'll never see a picture of him without the mask. Well, you will a week before he died on a talk show. He took it off very briefly. Wow. And then he put it back on and he died a week later. That's like when Wilson from Home Improvement showed his face. (laughs) In the last season or the last episode where he took it off. Are you like, ah! Yeah, yeah. Looking into the face we, all, of we all melted like the Ark of the Covenant. Listen, when uh, Santo takes off his mask, you see that photo, you go, yeah, he looks like a guy. <laughs> yeah. like <laughs> he didn't take his mask off in real life for the most part, uh, even in private company. The, it is such an uncomfortable looking mask too, like just squishing his face the entire time. I was I was in this week. I, I was I was hooked on this when in, fuck, what was the movie? The it, titles are like Santo and Blue Demon Against the Monsters. Not to be confused with Santo and Blue Demon versus uh, Dracula and the Werewolf. Or Dracula and Frankenstein? I was very confused trying to figure out which movie I was supposed to watch for this episode. No, 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 not the 1973, Will. 1970. That's right. But in this movie, there's an early scene where Santo is sitting at his desk in his home. He's dressed in a brown suit. He's reading a magazine, and he has the mask on. I mean, this is the classic thing. You always see these photos of Santo will be wearing like a very nice suit, and he's wearing the mask, reading the newspaper, and I and I thought. Thank you. Where has this been all my life? Because I'd never seen a Santo movie. How is that possible? Because I know. some of them were used in Mystery Science Theater 3000. The Samson versus the Vampire Woman episode, I don't think I ever actually... I haven't wow. seen every single episode. That's, okay. that's not one I'd seen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so you had never had any inkling to get into... Oh, the... I've had inklings. Okay, but what has kept you away? I don't know, time. I have two podcasts. <laughs> but uh... like, even before that, I would have thought that when you're exploring these yeah, like, weird avenues, you walk in a suspect video in like the early 2000s there'll be Mexican wrestling movies as far as the eye can see well I just recently bought the set that Indicator put out mm. of the two early ones <laughs> well you're in uh, and have I watched it yet no you're about to be shocked because Santo does not star in those movies he plays the sidekick uh, why haven't I seen them well maybe it's just because there are over 50 movies and it's hard to know what are the good ones mm. uh, I mean you can look and be like which ones have mo- 
monsters in the title. Well, I'll just say, having now seen three of them, it's like, based on what I've seen, this may be famous last words. It's very hard for me to imagine disliking any of these movies. Well, the these elements. Th- these movies is that one of them that we watched is pretty universally like this is the most fun one. But if you look on Letterboxd, you see a lot of like two, two and a half stars. And that's because they have a template that they follow. And we'll kind of get into what that is. And it's not conventionally exciting, if you will. But no. like, they started earlier on. And they figured out what they needed and what people liked. And they just did that over and over and over and over again. And what I've seen in these movies really prods my pleasure center. I mean, it's exactly what you like. So you get kind of stiff, Edwardian style framing, editing, and then storytelling. You got Frankenstein's and Dracula's and Wolfman's. Yep. And they're all having a monster mash. And what's this? Maybe they can even be beautiful in some examples. Like, for example, the first one we'll talk about uh, Santo versus the Vampire Women. Okay. So, Santo versus the Vampire Women, also known as Samson versus the Vampire Women from 1962. This is uh, one of his early ones, generally considered his best, I think. Even uh, though there's very little Santo in this movie. Um, of the three that I watched, it's the one that comes closest to being a well-made movie mm. in the traditional sense. Like if you threw this on or you stumbled upon it on television, you'd be like, oh, am I watching some kind of like copy of a Mario Bava, like right. Black Sunday-ish? And then 40 minutes in is like, oh, I'm going to watch Mexican wrestling for 20 minutes now, I guess. Right. And, you know, the other obvious comparison is Jess Franco's The Awful Dr. Orloff, mm. which was such a huge uh, hit in Spain. Uh, in fact, there is a Professor Orloff character in this movie <laughs> that rules. Um, just, just to show the influence but uh, yeah it's interesting to see the sort of like cultural cross-pollination because you know if this movie is influenced by like Mario Bava or Jess Franco early Jess Franco like in those movies were influenced by universal horror you're just seeing like horror iconography refracted and refracted and refracted again i mean this movie opens oh with like almost 15 minutes of just like slowly going through a dusty cobweb filled uh, castle yes please you know one of the most uh influential pieces of film criticism i ever heard was just said by you off the cuff uh, <laughs> well, i don't remember like seven or eight years ago we were watching the daughter of dr jekyll by mm. edgar g elmer and when it set, started you said so like oh love it big spooky house black and white love it <laughs> what else you Need something and, like and I was like, you know what? He's right. That is that that is what I like, and I think about that all the time. And this movie, I really hope you enjoy women going and then turning into a bat on a string because you're gonna see it thirty oh, times. Man. And every time it happened, I was like the cartoon Tex Avery wolf, being like, yeah, go go. So the villain of the film is Queen Zarina. She's the queen of a vampire coven. And by the way, every time I say that word, I think of American movie. Yeah. I, I, my, coven, coven, coven? My, coven. my mind always says, wait, is it coven or coven? <laughs> that, that movie that movie planted itself in my brain. But anyway, she's the queen of a vampire coven. She's the wife of the devil himself. She's looking to trap her successor. And among the other villains is Tundra, a vampiress who hundreds of years ago, 200 years ago to be specific, failed to capture her prey and now seeks her prey's granddaughter and when you think about that for a half second you realize well it'd actually probably be her like great great granddaughter (laughs) 200 years i mean (laughs) my grandpa was born in 1926 i mean anyway so if you're waiting for santo to show up in this movie you're gonna wait a long time because i i think i looked and at one point they go boy we're gonna need help to uh figure out this problem 
maybe Santo. And they like turn the TV channels and then it's like, we can't get hold of him. And they turn one of them. It goes to a wrestling match. And this is what's so funny because the first 20 minutes of this movie, very well made, very beautifully lit. Looks like a universal monster movie. And then it cuts to a wrestling match. And if you, every and Santo like movie a, it's a wrestling match. has one to two wrestling matches and they're always shot the same way. Not cinematic at all. No, it's basically Santo. People need to understand that when he started his movie career, he did not give up his wrestling career, that he continued to wrestle. He wrestled up until he retired from movies in the like early 80s. Right. So he began his wrestling career. He was born in 1917 and began his wrestling career in the mid-1930s. 1942 was the year that he became El Santo. The saint. The man in the silver mask. And, you know, over the subsequent decades, he became, you know, uh, the, the friend of all children. Yeah, the so hero there was of the common a man. very popular comic book that was made based on him. Now, and that owes, his fame owes as much to the the comic as it does to the wrestling absolutely and by the way his real name is rodolfo guzman huerta and that's the last time we'll say that no he's el santo Fuck that shit he's el santo and now i do have to say if you're coming to this like completely disconnected from the fame or any of that i mean if you're our age you are you may wonder like but why was he so popular watching these movies because he's not like a jackie chan like figure that you're like oh i get it what made him popular he's a big guy who yeah. wrestles exactly and but like is he inherently charismatic? You can't see his face. Yeah, I mean, there are a lot of there are a lot of people like that, aren't yeah. there? Where you just kind of had to be there. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I, I, can still I like watch these movies. I love them. I, I love these movies. I like him. And just the commitment of always wearing the mask, Jackie <laughs> Chan like in its execution. But yeah, the key opponent in his wrestling career, and again, he became El Santo in 1942. The key opponent was Blue Demon, and the story goes that in 1952, Santo defeated. In a tag team match, Blue Demon and Black Shadow. And he, he even, the ultimate humiliation, he unmasked Black Shadow in front of everyone on the stage. And so what did uh, Blue Demon do? He, uh, the feud began. There were rematches. Two rematches. Blue Demon won both of them. I love it. And people need to understand, the worst thing that can happen to a Mexican wrestler is being unmasked. Because oh, yeah. your career's over if you get unmasked. You can't go back under that mask He again. killed him. Yeah, exactly. And so that that feud lasted for decades. And Blue Demon and Santo made movies together. Oh, and sometimes they were enemies, sometimes they were friends. I also But apparently in real life, like did is, they hate is, each is other? this kayfabe? Like, Probably did kayfabe, they actually, yes. Yeah, okay. I want to be clear with people as well that like Mexican wrestling, in my opinion, is my favorite kind of wrestling because Basically, when you look at American wrestling, it's just an extension of like, um, you know, the classic Olympic style. Mm. And then it kind of evolved. While Mexican is all about high flying, doing big jumps off the top rope, doing flips, acrobatic moves. Now, will you see that in these Santo movies? Not particularly from Santo himself. But well, he's getting on in years by the time the movies actually even start. Like, 19, yeah, 1962. Like, he's been wrestling for 20 years at this point. He's, he's in his 40s. Yeah, like... But yeah, his fame owes as much to the comic book character, which was by an artist named Jose G. Cruz, turned him into more of a superhero than a wrestler. And that's kind of the persona that the movies tap Yeah, into. that he is El Santo. He's always El Santo. And there is no other identity. He's not a Batman-like figure that has a Bruce Wayne to fall upon or a Clark Kent slash Superman. Yeah, there's only Batman. There's only, yeah. Imagine if Batman was always in his Batman outfit hanging up. Oh, sounds better to me, to be honest. Well, it'd be like the Adam West show where like Batman, you know, just goes out. <laughs> yeah. What's that bat- that episode where he like goes to a bar and he's, he's like, uh, oh, I just want to be inconspicuous. <laughs> yeah. Ah, yes. The street is my pillow. <laughs> yeah. That's a reference to the Adam West Conan O'Brien show. Look well, yeah. Uh, but getting back to uh, Santo versus the Vampire Women, like when the wrestling starts, 
like once you've seen a few of these Santo movies, like, oh, okay, I know what this is. You're just going to sit there. You're going to watch the wrestling. The camera never gets in the ring. It's always outside the ring. You have a wide shot. This is where you can check your phone. And if you, you have a to. roaming camera <laughs> kind of following the action. Well, can you check your camera when the other wrestler killed the real one and is now a vampire man under the mask? Oh, man. Yeah. So, I mean, Santo has to be like the protector of Diana, who's mm-hmm. the... Uh, granddaughter of the, the granddaughter who they're seeking. There's a um, really funny scene where Santo finally enters and you're like, wait, is he really short? Because like yeah. the guy he's talking to, it looks like almost like the Hobbit style, like forced perspective shot. Well, you know, maybe he's a little compact. Mm, yeah. Uh, Most Mexican wrestlers are yeah. kind of like compact because it allows them to do all the big moves. And so this movie, yeah, Santo, I enjoyed this one that sometimes he's a bit of a chump that gets defeated and gets like chained up. I liked this movie for, you know, the atmosphere. Mm-hmm. Uh, more Absolutely. Than it also gives Santo a bit of a backstory as well. A bit uh, more lore. I enjoyed at the end where they go to the spooky castle, which is where most of these movies end. Uh, Santos brutally murders all the vampire women by lighting them on fire in their coffins. So a lot of these Santo movies are horrors. Adjacent, yes. Horror adjacent. They have monsters in them. A lot of them too, though, are sort of like whatever the trends were like spy movies and stuff. karate movies near the end of his career right uh, but a lot of monster ones and those are usually the ones that are the most popular now if you want to start at the beginning would not recommend it uh santo versus the infernal brain and uh santo versus the infernal men were those the first two yes they were the second one uh, this is a fun fact was shot in havana and it the last day of filming was the day before castro sees the city and the thing about those movies is that santo was a sidekick and he wasn't really in his persona and it's only after Santo versus I think the zombie men came out and was a big hit that they renamed those films and they put them out as Santo vehicles even though technically they're not really now Santo versus the vampire woman was the one that was kind of a hit around the world and played in America odd that other ones didn't really get imported because some of these movies if you were a kid reading famous monsters of Filmland like some of this it would stuff. be your favorite stuff in the world right so do you think it's because they were looked down upon as like cheap and tacky well they certainly i mean yeah they were but, but. Lot, lots of cheap and tacky movies got shown i wonder why like and they didn't get brought over more especially when a lot of these movies as well people would go ah, there's no copyright on these right and they would just kind of float around which is why something like santo versus the vampire women showed up on mystery science theater 3000 yeah that's right so uh santo and blue demon against the monsters we wanted one from every decade this is from 1970 well i picked the this one because it's the most fun one and i knew will would oh. absolutely love this movie i mean like a tex avery wolf like uh, when this film starts and it just starts with a roll call of every monster that you're gonna so see good. so i think it's like vampire women a werewolf man uh frankenstein uh the- not the creature from the black lagoon his cousin which is a cyclops man from another mexican movie right so wait now the cyclops is he looks kind of like uh, the thing from fantastic four he's like a big mm-hmm. uh, beast like thing well he looks like uh a guy in a costume that you'd hug at disneyland <laughs> yes <you know>? exactly <laughs> but i love it so most of the action unfolds in and around a big spooky mansion. The plot is there's a mad scientist who has died but is resurrected by his little person henchman Waldo. Yeah, little people are very present in these films. And the mad scientist, Dr. Bruno, newly resurrected, wants revenge on his brother, who seems like a kindly soul. There's not a lot of moral ambiguity in these movies. <laughs> no. And his his brother's daughter is Santo's girlfriend, which of course raises the question, does he keep the mask on all, the, all the time? All the Absolutely. time? 
Absolutely. <laughs> all right. And I love how this movie, so many monsters, and it starts with, all right, I clone blue demon, and this is an evil blue demon. And you're like, wait a minute. So the monsters weren't enough. We need an evil blue demon as well. And just to be clear, blue demon is a masked wrestler who just wears a blue mask. And blue demon, remember, is Santo's mortal enemy from the ring. But they're friends in movies too sometimes. Yeah, kind of like how Godzilla and Rodan are sometimes mm. friends. And uh, this movie... And like right from the get-go you get the blue demon fight blue demon gets lit on fire and there's a shot oh, of a guy yeah. on fire being like oh love it so let's talk a little bit about the aesthetic of a movie like this al adamson on his best day al adamson a lot of uh scenes of the mad scientists surrounded by monsters kind of in a row yeah. at an operating well, you wanna, table you want to get a good look at all of them and i kind of like that yeah. actually yeah it was the good <laughs> yeah there's like a shot of all the monsters being brain controlled which is really funny because they're all in these tubes with things on their head including the giant cyclops man okay that's the thing there are so many exploitation movies from this time that don't give you the good they, they're badly made and they don't give you the goods. yeah exactly. this one badly made and gives you the goods, which is the best of both worlds absolutely and i watched this on youtube and somebody the youtube title was like you know the title of the movie and then said hilariously bad movie and i actually don't think this is really a bad movie mm -hmm. right uh, you know because it's doing exactly what it's promising to like do. they know they know what this yeah, is exactly and it's fun it's super fun once it kicks into high gear it's just scene after scene of either a monster attacking someone or santo fighting that monster yeah and what's not to like well also there are two long wrestling interludes the second one the monsters break up the wrestling yeah i oh so good that I, I all was, the monsters run into the ring and they're just like wrestling santo so i was a little curious about like the filming of this did they just like get a crowd of people like was this a public Probably, yeah. wrestling match? i think it was a public wrestling match oh, could you imagine being in the audience for this and, and then, then like a bunch of monsters a frankenstein and a dracula come up on stage well, i could say that you know i've been to any wrestling matches and similar things have happened oh man maybe you need to get into wrestling will <laughs> maybe i do you know i did see the son of el santo wrestle when he came to toronto you saw the son of el santo mm -hmm. i think i shook his hand or something like T that tell me all about it please you know what he wasn't that hot in the ring but okay. just to see the man because oh, he was probably oh in his 50s when he was wrestling <laughs> like, holy moly because you know santo did a whole like passing of the torch to his son too well like. i think that it was a classic lon cheney to lon cheney jr like i don't want you to wrestle kind of thing oh okay but then it turned into uh, he's wrestling so you know he's gonna take up my mantle okay and yeah i mean just to see him the son of el santo right big silver mask taking on some toronto goons really fun oh my god took place in a tiny art gallery when was this five years ago he came to fan expo that was like the big calling card oh, yeah my god. maybe even more time than that this is my this is now my biggest regret <laughs> that i, that I Not missed this. This. i mean there was no I, if a frankenstein monster jumped into the ring i would have loved that didn't happen but you know just the idea just to see the seed of Fra of santo <laughs> exactly know? doing his thing yeah okay so we also need to be clear that like santo versus the monster movie just monster once you get going nothing but monster ends in a big cavern that a lot of these movies end with they light each other on fire they just kind of punch each other real sloppy you know what these movies are they're basically republic serials yes and like they're also shot in the action pre-william whitney where it's like put them in a wide shot just have them go at well it. the action is more like again the adam west batman mm. show where the choreography is like really sloppy and it's just middle-aged men like throwing, <laughs> throwing fake, fake punches at each other by the way did you ever see the total digression did you ever see the episode of 
of Batman that had Bruce Lee on it. No. Oh, the Green Hornet crossover episode? It's so great because, you know, most of those scenes, it's like Caesar Romero or, you know, Burgess Meredith throwing fake punches. But then there's this one episode where, like, the greatest fighter ever <laughs> is just, like, doing incredible kicks in the middle of this crowd. After this movie, it was tough to pick which one we want to do. Do we do Santo in the Wax Museum? Man, do we do Santo versus I'm just Frank- scrolling Tubi, looking at all these movies, and, like, I want to see every single one of these. You don't watch those on Tubi, Will. Well, for I, one very specific reason. I found reason. this out the hard way because I watched uh, 1980s The Fist of Death. Was it 1980? Sorry. Uh, yeah, 1980, 1981, around there. Who cares? Yes. It's an 80s movie. Fist of Death I watched on Tubi and uh, this is one Shout Factory is distributing it. No, not Shout Factory. VCI is distributing oh, it. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. And VCI, who have done Mexican films in the past, I believe they're doing releases of ones that like an institution in Mexico is remastering. I don't know what's going on with these horror films. I think it's through like a Rene Cardona Institute, something like this. But they're doing two things very badly. The transfers are not good, that they completely remove all the grain from them. So they look very plasticky. They take away the opening credits to put shitty new, ass. New opening credits. Boom. Bad boom. like digital credits that they made within the last five years. That have like terrible iMovie backgrounds. Awful. I couldn't believe it. And they redubbed them with jokey dubs. Yeah, and even if they didn't have jokes, just the act of redubbing them, like, I don't want to watch an old movie with a new soundtrack. Yeah. Like, if you watch an old Kung Fu movie or an old Godzilla movie with a 1960s soundtrack, like, it's not ideal, but it's a little bit like, well, at least the voice sounds like it's from the 60s. And I understand, like, why they're doing new English dubs for this, because... There was no English dubs that were ever done for them because only four of those movies were brought over. To which I say subtitles. Who's, subtitles. Who's what? You think kids are watching Do you these? know what's wild about this? The Blu-rays do not have subtitles or the original oh. language. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Yeah. So get, get Martin Scorsese on the case. We need a film preservationist to stop this from happening. I wonder if they're like running the negatives through and they're like, all right, we scanned them and they're like throwing them. Oh, in. I don't even want to think about that. <laughs> but oh, yeah. So we need to save Fist of Death. What is this movie, Will? Well, the MacGuffin of this movie is a powerful star which it's an object that everyone worships that has great power. It looks a little bit like a cubic zirconia that lights up. And there are two factions fighting for possession of this object. There's Quiria, played by Grace Renat, an actress I was unfamiliar with, but who makes a huge impression here. Uh, <laughs> Please get her a dress that uh, fits. She makes two huge impressions here, actually. <laughs> um, uh, she's an enchantress. You're listening to Shock <laughs> FM. Uh, I'm your host, Mr. Skin. Um, no. She's an enchantress type figure who uses the star to, you know, heal the sick and do good work. And then there's her twin sister, Kungian, uh, also played Renat. by Grace Renat. I mean, seamless. Did you notice that one shot where there was the mat line oh, in between yeah. both of them? I love it. Uh, if you can see the mat line in a movie, uh, I love I it. Don't, I don't think I've ever seen a more obvious <laughs> mat line where it's like a thick black border. So this sister, she's a kind of like shapeshifter. She's in touch with black magic or bad forces like that. Now, she steals the star, and it's up to our old friend Santo to find it. Now, <laughs> and when we say it's up to Santo to find it, but what we mean by that is Santo will take many boat rides. And when I say our old friend Santo, <laughs> he's, I, old. he's in his 60s. I mean, now we know why he's wearing the mask, because he doesn't want to see how fucking old he is. And, okay, so many scenes 
of a Mexican wrestler in a boat. I could not believe that like he takes two boat rides and then he gets on a plane. You're like, ah, finally. Then he gets into another boat. <laughs> Just one boat after another. And this movie has a little bit of that like robot monster issue where, you know, in the movie Robot Monster, where not only is the monster ridiculous, a gorilla in a diving helmet, but you're constantly seeing him from a distance. So he's <laughs> tiny in the frame. He's not even physically imposing in the frame. You're not shooting him from beneath or... Yeah. Uh, you, I will say this movie, very colorful. I, I liked this movie, to be yeah. clear. It's fun. <laughs> it's a jungle adventure. Definitely something that you're like, something weird put this out, right? It's yeah. got those vibes. Well, yeah, the, the colors, the sort of like purple and, and pink and that sort of thing. I mean, basically, there were, for a lot of the movie, there were two kinds of scenes. There's Santo in the boat, and there's Grace Renat doing a hoochie-coochie mating ritual dance uh, around this like glowing orb. So many times we cut back to her. I'm like, that dress is not going to be able to hold on! Back and forth. And the costumes and the settings, uh, I was reminded a little bit of Jacques Demy's donkey skin. Yes. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I agree. Or probably actually like, uh, you know, a Something Weird video movie. Yeah, basically a Something Weird video like space fun or something like land that. or something like that yeah <laughs> and so like this movie there are joys to be found beyond just the textual pleasures uh santo holding an unconscious tiger <laughs> pretending to wrestle it oh my god uh, the movie is kind of paced like molasses but it's really it's, it's, really, a vibe. it's about vibes oh also forgot to mention that there's like an, an oracle that they consult you know, uh, just a, a rock, a rock with a thing on it. And the thing is a C-3PO Halloween mask. <laughs> and love it. What's not to love about that? I mean, it's the kind of movies that you're like, oh, this is boring. And then it'll suddenly cut to somebody being cut in half. And you're like, whoa, where'd this come from? That's absolutely true. And, you know, boring. I loved sitting in this movie. I love any movie really boring. It's there's the watcher. No, I hear there. I hear that. there's no such thing as a bad movie. <laughs> exactly. And I have, certainly not in this case. Now I picked this one because that uh, the director made another one that's like Santo versus the Karate Warriors. But people were like, "Oh, that's actually a sequel to this one." And I thought there would be more Karate Bruce Lee-ish in this. Not really. There's some very, very laxadaisical fighting in this, <laughs> where people are just waving weapons in front of the camera. But that's oh, pretty yeah. much it. And also, if you thought the previous one, the versus the monsters movie was like badly shot, this one, this one, they really just parked the camera down in the middle (laughs) distance. I love versus the monsters, though. That Santo is like, ah, yes, the monsters cannot go out in the daytime. Cut to the next scene. The monsters (laughs) running around in the daytime. (laughs) Wait a minute, Santo. Oh, is this supposed to be day for night? Something else I loved about all three of these movies is I feel like for Shocktober, we got a little different flavor of horror in each one of them. The first one, very universal. Mm. The second one, a little bit of hammer horror. Also, the second one felt like a Ray Dennis Steckler movie. Yeah, very Ray Dennis Steckler. Like like a spook show. Mm. You know, it felt like going into the county fair haunted house. and blah, blah. Yeah, exactly. And this third one is sort of like, well, the C-3PO mask shows you. It's like <laughs> it, it's like a, a Flash Gordon-ish like 80s sci-fi thing. Trying to kind of recontextualize like old pulp stuff into a modern setting, but doing it as slowly Making as possible. Making it look more primitive than the old pulp stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I say that all as a compliment. I, re- I liked all of these movies. I'm very glad that I've uh, opened a new vein for you of like a uh, area of interest. Like, you know, when you're feeling down, you can always just reach for one of the... 49 other Santo movies you haven't watched? I guess I'll have to see them all. Not only that, there's also like other wrestlers who got their own movie in the Santo Extended Universe. Blue Demon has one called, I think it's versus something brain. And unlike the Santo version, it's a big giant brain that he fights throughout the movie. There's a wrestler called Mil Mascaras, AKA a million masks. And the gimmick is almost like in every new scene, he's wearing a new costume and like new mask. 
And they all fight monsters as well. Folks, yours to discover. Look, if you want to watch these movies on Tubi. YouTube. 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 Okay. Yeah, go to YouTube. They're YouTube. all there. Don't watch them on Tubi, please. There you go. All right. So as per usual, you can send us letters at importantcinemaclubpodcast at gmail.com. Our first letter is from Harry, and he goes, greetings from Manchester, England. On Will's Letterboxd reviews for both David Lynch's Lost Highway and Steven Spielberg's Indiana Jones and Temple of Doom, he describes them as artists spewing their evil guts on a slab for the world to see. <laughs> what, you hack? You use the same <laughs> sentence twice in two reviews? You got me. <laughs> I was wondering if you guys could think of any other example of this in film. I'll start with a suggestion. Quentin Tarantino's Death Proof. It has all his usual preoccupations and fetishes, but instead of cool, quotable genre thriller, it's a nasty, gory horror film where the misogynistic serial killer antagonist ends up being beaten up and castrated by the young female protagonist in the final reels. Any others? All the best. Harry Ford. Now, I believe, Will, you have a list of movies like this that you made on Letterboxd. I'm not sure I do. I thought you made like an evil movies uh, Oh, I made an evil movies list, but not connected to like particular auteurs uh, okay uh, movies where the filmmaker kind of spews their evil guts on a slab for all to see uh well the first one i mean there are probably better examples than this but like deconstructing harry by woody allen kind of, kind of <laughs> i'm guilty i'm guilty kind of kind of suggests that isn't that like a lot of like late period woody allen like even crimes and misdemeanors there's definitely yeah crimes and misdemeanors for sure yeah <laughs> i'll get a late period louis ck movie well that, that someone I mentioned love... louis ck in a podcast and i just remembered like the last movie he made where it was like podcast people did you end up seeing that no i didn't. Uh, Okay. Uh, no. You know what? The movies you mentioned though are like from big filmmakers. So it makes me wonder of like, yeah, what like person who's established has just come around every Michael Bay film? The the artist who comes to mind is uh, Robert Crumb. Mm, and, oh, I'm and I'm trying to think of like who's the filmmaker equivalent of Robert Crumb, where they make these movies that are just like all about like you know take me or leave me this is who i am you know did you ever read the last uh fritz the cat comic that he wrote I, like, I did but i can't remember where like fritz the cat gets killed by having like an ice pick in his yeah, head yeah, because yeah. robert crumb was pissed off that he didn't receive enough money from the uh from film the movie, that came out yeah. yeah you know what this is a topic i feel we can revisit it maybe even a subject for an episode at some point uh, yeah i i love this as a as a subject i'm sure roman polanski's oh, got yeah, one or two you movies. know so uh thank you very much for that letter and our next letter is from maxwell and he goes, hey, Justin and Will, my name is Maxwell Dixon, and I am a film student down in sunny Miami, Florida, a.k.a. North Cuba. I've been a fan of your film writings for a few years, but somehow only recently got into your podcast. We're doing a bad job about letting people know about these podcasts. If people can read our letterbox reviews and go, whoa, they have podcasts. Maybe right? I need to plug it more. Oh, wait a minute. Returning to your question. Yeah. I, I thought of a great example. The films of Richard Kern. Oh, yes. Uh, Absolutely. Fingered. Yeah, right mm. there. I've been working my way through your archives. I promise there's something interesting coming, and I want to thank the two of you for covering such an eclectic range of cinema. As much as I enjoy podcasts like Blank Check or Film Spotting, I can't imagine any of them discussing Pinkoo films or Poverty Row directors, and certainly not with as much enthusiasm as you both bring to them. Thank you. I agree. He had film spotting is like, we're doing Pinku. Uh, yeah, let's haven't watched the classics. Let's see those guys talk about Lolita vibrator torture. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, with the praise portion of the letter out of the way, I do have a question. Have you ever considered doing an episode on Native American, or I suppose in your case, First Nation cinema? Was the recent finale of the show Reservations Dogs, which is one of the best TV shows in recent years, love that TV show, really, really good, and the recent release of Killers of Flower Moon, it's had me looking for more film from the sorely underrepresented group. Films like Chris Iyer's Smoke Signals, Rizard's Bogowski's, oh boy, sorry about that, Clear Cut, although... Bajowski was Polish. Have you seen Clear Cut? It's really good. No, I haven't. I, that's the one with Graham Greene, right? Yep, that's yeah, right. It's yeah. on the uh, Kayla Janice box set 
that Severn put out of all those films with her documentary. And Zachariah Kunuk's Atanarjuat, The Fast Runner, are relatively well-known and are both worth talking about. But I would love to dive deeper into this field, and I think you, our gentleman, would do a good job at it. Thanks again for the great podcast, Maxwell. Well, it's a great suggestion. Put it on the list. I don't want to do, like, no, like a one beginner's blanket. guide. No, I feel, but... you know what? Didn't we do it last November when we were like, we're going to challenge ourselves and do, like, world cinema that we never talk about? Well, let's do World Cinema Month. Yep, we'll do that, and... I. I've had, uh, you know, the filmmaker of The Fast Runner on our list for the longest time. We should so definitely. We should definitely do yeah. it. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you very much for that suggestion. Inuit cinema in particular, because mm-hmm. like there is Inuit cinema. Absolutely. And, and we should explore that. Yeah. So as per usual, you can send us letters at pornsinemaclubpodcast at gmail.com. What are we doing on our podcast this week, Will? Our Patreon? Yeah, on our Patreon, we are talking about movies that we've seen lately. Yeah. Uh, we're having, And what movies are we talking about? The, the Emmanuel series. Oh, yeah. So Will watched... More than seven Emmanuel movies. <laughs> yeah. yeah, for a reason. <laughs> Pleasure. Pleasure, yes. And so we talk about that. Uh, well, we we talk-, talk about uh, some filmmakers you love who d- who passed away recently. Yep, Anthony Hitchcock and Jeff Burr. Does Ta- Joe D'Amato come up? A little yeah, bit. A little Talked bit. about the brand new John Travolta direct-to-video action movie. Mobland. So a lot there to talk about. I also talked about Cameroon's greatest action star. Yep, so, so check that out. Patreon.com slash The Important Cinema Club. What are we doing next week, Will? Shocktober concludes with Michael J. Murphy. Who? I know who this is. I'm just, uh, you know, playing the audience. I know who it is, but I also haven't seen any of his movies. You probably haven't seen any of his movies. I have seen a bunch of his movies. Okay. Because we did it on Bay Street Video Podcast. Oh, okay. With one of the blind buys was one of his films. Now, I do think this is a fascinating filmmaker, a Motern-like filmmaker that had a giant box set come out and I think that people were overwhelmed by the choice and which movie to watch, and it kind of fell by the wayside. So Powerhouse Indicator, the great Blu-ray company out of the UK, put together this box set of the micro-budget cinema of Michael J. Murphy, 1967 to 2015. He makes uh, backyard homemade horror films. Uh, he's He made them for many, many years. And barely distributed. He did all kinds of films. Like he did a post-apocalyptic film. He did like a fantasy film. And he was making these when backyard movies were like not easy to make. Mm -hmm. So I'm very interested to explore him. So I would recommend checking out Torment from 1990, which I loved. And uh, probably his most famous one, Bloodstream from 1985, which was also a reaction to kind of being boned by home video distributors and is about a, a director who decides to make a snuff film. So it's like one of those weird kind of meta angry like uh, letters. So check that out. And then, you know what? Follow your passion after okay. that. There's a lot you can watch. Like, do you want to watch Death Run, his post-apocalyptic one? Do you want to watch his fantasy backyard film, Atlantis? All of these mostly are shot on film. He also did like really like weird psychological kind of like tortured pieces. Love it. All of it is great or at least interesting in some way. And I can't wait to kind of give him a centerpiece attention and give people an entryway into that stuff. Excellent. So that's what we'll be doing next week, the cinema of Michael J. Murphy. And until then, my name is Justin Clue. I will Sloan. Thanks for listening. Well, whenever there's a movie by Herman Yao at my local multiplex, uh, that's my top priority. Sorry, Martin Scorsese. <laughs> a filmmaker who's made four films in 2023 alone. Now, I saw some people retweeting me going, well, he didn't really make four, four films in 2023. Some of these were made in 2021. You Shut know up. what I meant. Come Shut on. up. Come on. <laughs>
Uh, four films released. Herman Yao, most famous for directing Category 3 films like Ebola Syndrome and... The Untold Story. Mm-hmm. The Untold Story is a movie so gory that... I, I don't know if I could recommend it to anyone. So bad that someone was like, whoa, the director of The Untold Story. I gotta check this out. I was like, no. slow down. Well, the thing is, yeah, he made Ebola Syndrome and The Untold Story, which are like... those were popular at the time. And those were like, they're cult classics. They endure. People uh, love those movies. But yeah, that was what was popular. He's a Roger Corman-like figure where it's like, whatever the trends are, he'll make a movie. He's, now, he's an exploitation filmmaker. For people who want much more information about this filmmaker, we did a whole episode on him. That's right. And he's made some really good films, oh, yeah. especially about the handover. So, oh, yeah. Well, he's made like art films too. Yeah. Um, he's done everything. He's truly, he made uh, Ip Man, The Final Fight, Shockwave 2. <laughs> Uh, he's he's made <laughs> nothing like, says art film like it man the final yeah. fight in shockwave two. What was that? What was the good one we saw? You uh, know the looking, one about sex workers. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's whispers and moans, I right? Mean, which was two thousand seven. So it's not even like ah oh, yes, back when he started. It's like every now and then he gets a one for him. He gets to make. But he also makes mainland blockbusters. He is probably the most consistently working Hong Kong director. He makes two kinds of films though. He makes films he shoots in Cantonese with Hong Kong stars and also mainland blockbusters. It's like a one for them, one for him kind of situation. Right. And I mean, we know, I mean, I have a copy of his like dissertation about like political censorship in Cantonese movies. So like he knows his shit. Yeah. Like, like he's, he would rather be making Hong Kong movies, Yes, but uh, he plays the game and he plays it very well. And Moscow Mission, which stars Andy Lau, you know, one of the biggest Chinese stars. Uh, stars? Andy Lau? Sorry, Andy Lau is in it. Yes. Um, I mean, you look at the poster, it's, it's you sold, would assume it's, it's stars. It's sold on Andy Lau. And yeah, this is a movie about the Chinese detectives in Moscow, you know, trying to foil a... A uh, band of robbers who do heists on the Moscow Express train. The real star is actually Zhang Hangyu, who people may know as probably one of the biggest mainland Chinese stars. And I only say this because he showed up in The Great Wall. He is also in the Battle of Lake Changjin movies. Mm-hmm. And he was seen in Operation Red Sea. Bad, bad movie. Mm-hmm. And Manhunt, the John Woo film. He stars in that one, which was a weird Japanese co-production. But he's a big star. He's a real star of this movie. I mean, Moscow Mission. I'm not going to tell anyone to run out and see this anytime soon oh i am if if andy lau has sorry not andy lau oh herman yeah and, sorry andy lau too if andy lau or herman you have a movie at your local multiplex uh just go out and see it too long 128 minutes this is i can't remember last time maybe a marvel movie where you're like ah here we go the end and they're like oh my god oh no there's 30 minutes left of this bad well, boy yeah so moderately entertaining yes the plots i don't think i was good bored yeah. throughout it Herman Yao seems to be doing some interesting things here or there the way he uses archival footage throughout the movie oh yeah of like Hong Kong and or like mainland so, so, China sorry Beijing I yeah. mean Beijing and uh, Moscow in the 80s now yeah. I didn't look into this did they shoot in Moscow for this movie I feel like they did I think they did I yeah. think there are some scenes there I mean so if I were just look what do I know about international uh, relations mm. but it, it, I, I think what's clearly happening here is like uh, power alliances are shifting. The U.S. is not quite what it was 20 years ago. And countries like Russia and China are looking at each other and saying, uh, yeah. do, do you want to sit at the same lunch table? Yeah. And that's what a movie like this is. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it's facil- It's just one of one, one of many things that facilitates something like that. Uh, and it does it. Through... And that's none of my business. <laughs> none of I'm just here to be entertained. I just love movies. <laughs> I will say from a propaganda standpoint, from the most of the uh, Chinese blockbusters that I've seen recently, not so bad. 
Yeah, it's, like if you watch it, you'd be like, "Oh, this is kind of a generic it's, heist." It's thriller. no more of a propaganda movie than like any American cop movie is. Now, did Herman Yao direct, and that did not get released in theaters, a full-on army set propaganda movie called "Raid on the Lethal Zone"? He did, which also came out this year. Oh God! Waiting with bated breath for I, this. One I'd to love come out. to see it. Yeah. Uh, so it's nice that you know I'm just happy to see Herman Yao in the big. Remember when we went to go see whatever the, the vi- white the white storm three? Oh no, I know what you're talking about. The um, leakers was that what it was called god uh, fuck i can't remember but we're like ah this will be the last time we're able to see a herman yao movie in theaters oh we 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 were only just beginning our journey (laughs) because uh he keeps putting them out you know he did a category three throwback movie in 2017 starring anthony wong called the sleep curse okay well hang on i'm adding that to my list Uh, it's supposed to be not so hot but i just love that he's like ah why not like he doesn't need to do that he could just make mainland blockbusters and he's clearly a guy who likes to work because he just continue pumping them out but we got to say something about moscow mission which we said for the last how what year is this this year seven or eight of this podcast we started at the end of 2015 okay so two years away from our 10th barack obama was president (laughs) that's how long this has been going on uh is that mainland chinese films what is going on over there? They look so bad. They look awful. You know oh what's my funny God. about Herman Yao, too, is he was a cinematographer. Like, he worked on other, like, Choi Hark movies as a cinematographer. But, like, there are scenes in this that I could only describe as two-strip Technicolor. Yeah, there are scenes in it that are sort of, like, accidental Michael Mann public enemies. Now, is it because, like, China has gotten their own proprietary, like, red copies and they haven't quite gotten there yet and that's why it looks so bad is it because they want you to watch it on your phone which is why the colors are the way that they are well i'm sure a lot of that has to do with it i'm sure a lot of these movies are sort of being made for like you know with with the best buy tv in mind but Um, like you like herman yao a filmmaker who's worked in the industry for so long must look at this and be like ugh terrible isn't it incredible like when we were like teenagers and chinese movies were coming out like there was that wave of art house chinese movies that were big hits like, yeah no movies look better house, of, house of flying daggers 2046 movies like that you know who has a new movie coming out this week zhang yimu already just in theaters on friday yep uh, second second movie this year it's a long delayed one like most of his films of well course. we should go see it we, should, we will go because see it. i've i liked his last one yeah and so. and uh the other the one one second was that what it was called yeah that one was really that was good. great yeah oh wait can we talk about the uh, final shot of this movie yeah it's please. so funny which is uh they finally <laughs> bring the guy will was like well, what is he talking about and then he just remembered yeah yeah, yeah. I, can't, I can't remember but yeah like there's a triumphant ending where like you know the the military greets the train yeah as it the arrives. villain has been brought to justice the robbery is been foiled and like they shake hands with one of the robbers and then something flashes on the screen that says he was later sentenced to death (laughs) yes and executed did you see that uh, china i think this week they're releasing a remake of bobcat goldway's world's greatest dad that rocks and i really hope it still die from autoerotic asphyxiation i hope it ends with a freeze frame and it's like the world's greatest dad was imprisoned for his lies and was executed 10 years later. <laughs> Something like that. Listen, they keep pumping out these movies. One of these days, the Hong Kong filmmakers making mainland blockbuster film will die and there'll be none of these. I will not see these movies anymore. I know. Because there's no authorial voice in what's, any of these mainland. The yeah. Well, thank God we still have them because, you know, you're telling me there's a new Zhang Yi movie, Zhang Yi Mu movie coming out. And I'm kind of excited for that because I'm back on board with Zhang Yi Mu these days. There were years when I was not on board with him. You know, The Great Wall, Flowers Ugh, from Shanghai, terrible films. And then there was also the feeling like Zhang Yi Mu, oh, he's a sellout, you yeah. know, whatever. But now I look at some of his recent movies they are were pretty like, good. He's a sellout as they're like guns 
pointing to his head is like, you're going to make this movie. Well, it's also like, okay, like who isn't to sell out in yeah. this fucking if you landscape? Keep, yeah. Like, yeah, you have to be, especially if he's working at his level and within the system that he's making movies in. And also like, all, I don't care. Yeah. Like, <laughs> it, you know what? Is the film entertaining? That's the, that's thing. the main thing. Yeah. Yeah. And listen, Zangie Moo, it feels like he's trying after those sellout movies. He's like, he got a bunch of one for them or one for me. And they've just been like sitting on the shelf and they're slowly coming out. Yeah. As they, and I mean, even one second, that one was held back forever. Because they watch changed the, film, the ending. Oh, yeah. what was the original ending? I wonder. Well, I don't know, but the ending was a pretty obvious, like, re, re, Scott. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, I think that all those movies will have that ending and just go, you go in aware of that. Well, it's just like, you know, when you watch movies from the production code, like 30s Hollywood studio well, movies where people get punished. I recently end. rewatched Rigor Mortis and I remember seeing it at Midnight Madness going, oh, I hate this ending. It's revealed that it's all a dream of the guy who committed suicide and then i thought about it for a second and went oh this was probably right on the edge of mainland china not allowing hopping vampires in their movies so by saying it's all a dream at the end of the right. film you circumvent the like oh there's hopping vampires in this film yeah what's wild that. is the director of mr vampire is still making hopping vampire films in mainland china and they have to reveal in every movie that they are not real that's so funny so funny 